I'm Joshua Kegi from The Christian Citizen, and this is episode 20 of Justice, Mercy, Faith. In this episode, Richard C. Harwood lays the case for establishing a new civic covenant with his essay, Getting in the Same Boat. The Reverend John Zering reminds us of the rejected stone Jesus speaks about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and how we might face rejection in the purple season. And finally, we're joined by Margaret Markison with her reflection on how to think like a redwood tree. Richard C. Harwood is president and founder of the Harwood Institute for Public Innovation, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization in Bethesda, Maryland. Here he is reading his essay, Getting in the Same Boat, Establishing a New Civic Covenant. In the summer of 2019, the Harwood Institute for Public Innovation, in partnership with the Community Foundation for Mississippi, interviewed 25 Jackson, Mississippi community leaders to learn about their aspirations and concerns for the city, and then convened these leaders for a day-long meeting to discuss critical issues, identify underlying conditions, and generate principles for moving forward together. Recently, we released a new civic covenant, Jackson Ready to Step Forward, which sets out an inspiring agreement among a diverse group of local leaders to work together to make real and lasting progress for the community. There's an urgent need in Jackson for this new covenant. There's an urgent need in communities across America for their own new civic covenants. The Reverend Martin Luther King once said, quote, we may have all come on different boats, but we're in the same boat now, unquote. For too long, the leaders in Jackson told us that the community has been fractured. Negativity and mistrust are rampant. Community redevelopment is uneven. Deep economic disparities persist, and there's widespread segregation. Race and class issues are taboo. People have been in different boats. To make progress, the people of Jackson must step forward and forge new and stronger relationships and a can-do spirit. At the core of these relationships sits a covenant, a new civic covenant with one another. A civic covenant is about how we choose to turn outward toward one another, take shared responsibility for producing a stronger, more inclusive community, and step forward to work together to get things done. It is rooted in the belief that no single leader, organization, or group can achieve a community's goals on their own. We need each other. We must be in the same boat. In my travels over the last few months on the Stepping Forward campaign based on my new book, it's clear to me that so many communities must strike a new civic covenant on how they will work together to make the American promise real for all. This is a special task on which I see the Harwood Institute working with communities in the coming years. In Jackson, I recall one gentleman telling the following story about a cartoon he had seen. Northeast Jackson was telling West Jackson, you need to fix your side of the boat, it's leaking. The gentleman then pointed out, it's like, hello, you're all in the same boat. The time has come for all of us to get in the same boat.
Reverend John Zuring has served United Church of Christ congregations for 22 years as a pastor in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Maine. He is the author of more than 30 books. His most recent, from Judson Press, is Get Your Church Ready to Grow, a guide to building attendance and participation. Here he is with his essay, Facing Rejection in the Purple Season. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Psalm 118, verse 22. I grew up in Pennsylvania, the Keystone State, so I have an affinity for Psalm 118's reference to the chief cornerstone. A keystone is the wedge-shaped piece at the crown of an arch that locks the other pieces in place. While it may not be the biggest stone, it is the most important. Can you imagine ancient builders sorting through their pile of cast-off rocks, searching for one of the rejects to use up there to hold it all together? Originally, the psalmist crafted this as a picture of the nation of Israel. Israel was the nation which was despised and rejected. The stone which the builders rejected in the Hebrew scriptures was the nation of Israel. Then, in the Christian scriptures, the rejected stone came to refer to Jesus. He is the stone the builders rejected. Yet this rejected man became the chief cornerstone, the head of the church. This passage from Psalm 118 fascinated the early Christian writers. It is referred to in Acts, 1 Peter, Ephesians, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The passage's theme is rejection, which is interwoven throughout the purple season of Lent. Purple, or violet, is the liturgical color for the six weeks of Lent, and was named as the color of the cloak with which they clothed Jesus, as they twisted some thorns into a crown and put it on him. The color is not so far off from feeling blue when you experience rejection. Jesus spoke about about the rejected stone in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which makes us wonder, did Jesus feel rejected, not appreciated, not valued? Did Jesus have an ego? If the word which became flesh came to dwell among us and to feel what we feel and to hurt like how we hurt, would not Jesus too have some bad days when it felt like he was not valued, not appreciated, not wanted? and not understood? Perhaps there are times when you feel like you are the stone which was rejected. When you have been rejected, perhaps it felt like a punch in the stomach or a slap in the face. It stings. So when you are feeling the pangs of rejection, consider some possibilities for managing rejection. First is serve. Martin Luther King Jr. understood the sting of rejection and the need to feel important. He preached, if you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's the new definition of greatness. By giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You can be that servant. And so when you feel rejected, reframe how you view yourself. Embrace yourself as a servant and do something to help another. Second, share with another. Being rejected can feel embarrassing. It is natural to keep it bottled up inside where the feelings fester upon themselves. When you share your feelings with another, he or she can help you gain some perspective on the rejection. 
This is essentially what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, when he said, If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Consider the arithmetic of that. A difficulty shared is a difficulty halved. A joy shared is a joy doubled. Share your feelings with another who cares about you, and then allow them to cut the difficulty in half. Third, regard others as better than yourself. When you do not feel valued, turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This feels counterintuitive, like when your driver ed teacher taught you to turn into the direction of a skid. Is it not a natural inclination to regard yourself as better than others? How many times have you said, well, at least I'm better off than so-and-so? Here is a biblical attitude which is counterintuitive to human nature. Regard others as better than yourself. Recognize that God values you so much that you are able to possess the ego strength to consider others as better than yourself. That recognition reminds you of being valued by God and therefore frees you to shine the spotlight on others rather than upon yourself. Fourth, make others feel valued. One of the greatest insights from common sense is this. People will not remember what you said, did, or accomplished, but they will remember how you made them feel. Make people feel good about themselves and valued, and they will remember and value you. Fifth, trust God to use the rejected stone as a cornerstone. Could it be that rejection is what shapes you, propels you, strengthens you, motivates you, and even makes you great? Could it be that rejection is the critical secret ingredient to your ultimate success? Could God use the stones in your life which were rejected to become the cornerstone for something else? God did not cause the rejection. God does not cause bad things to happen to people. But could God use it? In Psalm 118, following the verse about the rejected stone, consider the next verse. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Your rejection can be used by God, and perhaps later, as you look back upon it, you may see the rejection as part of what recreated you into the fine person you have become. Psalm 118, which speaks of the rejected stone, goes on to place rejection into divine perspective when it says in verse 24, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is God's day. Because it is God, there is always something worthy to rejoice and be glad about, even on blue days when rejection leaves purple bruises on the soul. During Lent, consider how Jesus was rejected. Many have felt the pain of rejection. Even if the feelings never go away, you can learn to manage your feelings. There are attitudes you can adopt and actions you can take. Perhaps the greatest is to trust that God can use everything that happens in your life to make you a better person and to adopt a commitment, changing only the pronoun, that this is the day that the Lord has made. I will... I will 
Rejoice and be glad in it. The Reverend Margaret Marcuson helps ministers do their work without wearing out or burning out through ministry coaching, presentations, and online resources found at margaretmarcuson.com. She joins us now with her essay, Thinking Like a Redwood. I've got a 2020 calendar with 12 photos of redwood trees. I love to be reminded every day of the long perspective, multiple times, as I look up over my computer screen and see photos of giant, long-lived trees. On a trip down the California coast, we pulled off Highway 101 to see a giant redwood tree. The signs all said, to the big tree. We walked down a short path, following the big tree signs, laughing a little at the signage. When we reached the tree, we automatically looked up and said, that's a big tree. We couldn't help it. And everyone else who arrived while we were there said, that's a big tree. It's 286 feet high and at least 1,500 years old. The tree started growing in the dark ages. In the middle of anxiety producing breaking news, big trees remind us there's a longer time frame than our day-to-day life. Ancient trees have survived it all. They too face threats like fire and climate change. Age is no guarantee of survival. However, these trees have lasted through more changes than we will ever see, no matter how long we live. We have a park in my neighborhood with big old trees. Sometimes, especially when things are tough, I walk down down there and simply touch the bark on the trees. They aren't 1,500 years old, but they've been growing at least 100 years. They help me keep perspective on the global ups and downs and my personal drama, whatever it might be. When something comes up that worries you or raises your anxiety, Try asking yourself, will this matter in a hundred years? Even better ask, will it matter in a thousand years? In some cases, like climate change, the answer is indeed yes. In others, like global violence, there could be long-term implications in a century. In those cases, the question is, what am I called to do now about this? This is different from fussing and fuming about what we can't control. In many cases, like the internet being out or a traffic jam or an argument with someone, the answer is no. It won't matter in a thousand years or even a hundred years or next year. I can breathe, step back, and think about what is my work in this moment. A tree's work is to grow, and when it dies, it still has work to decay and provide fertilizer for future trees and for the forest as a whole. Another giant tree fell after a rainstorm in 1991. It's still visible, decomposing and providing food for new growth. Here are some ideas for thinking like a redwood tree. Make your computer or phone wallpaper a redwood tree. Use it as a daily reminder to keep the long view. When you have an anxious thought or read an anxious headline, stand up. Feel your feet as they touch the ground. Breathe. Breathe again. 
I guarantee you will feel calmer and more able to deal with the challenge ahead. Write down what you want to fertilize in the future for the rest of your life and even after you are gone. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thank you to this week's guests, Richard C. Harwood, the Reverend John Zering, and Margaret Markison. Our theme music is Believable Too by Peter Sandberg. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kegi. Stories are edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen Editorial Board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagre, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Sarah Strosselkegi, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Cassandra Karkoff Williams. And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMickle, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about the Christian Citizen, visit our website, christiancitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.